Hello and welcome to According to John. Today we're going to start in episode 20 of Martin DeHaan, The Days of Noah. And today's title is The Story of the Giants. Let's get to it. Who were the giants mentioned in the days of Noah, described as the offspring of the sons of God and the daughters of men? Why did the appearance of these giants precipitate the judgment of God and make necessary the destruction of man by the flood of Noah? Who were these sons of God, and who were the daughters of men? For the answers to these questions, we turn to Genesis chapter 6. And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his day shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, and the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only on evil continually." And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. Genesis 6, 1 through 7. In this passage, we have described in detail the occasion for the flood of Noah. Jesus said that the days of Noah will be repeated at the end of this age. To the question of the disciples for some signs of his coming, he gave a long list of signs and gathers them all up by referring his disciples to the history of the days of Noah and the days of Lot. In studying the record of these days in Genesis, we saw the evil, violence, and wickedness, which were causes for God's determination to bring judgment upon the world. But the immediate occasion which precipitated the flood was the union of the sons of God and the daughters of men, resulting in the birth of a race of giants with supernatural wisdom and powers, and, and of exceeding great wickedness. We emphasize and repeat, the immediate occasion for the coming of the flood was the illicit union between the sons of God and the daughters of men. It is important that we seek to determine why this sin was so serious as to call for immediate judgment. In order to do this, we must identify the sons of God and the daughters of men. We must be able to account for these giants as the result of this union between them. There are two interpretations of this strange account. The generally accepted explanation of the union of the sons of God and the daughters of men is that the former were the godly descendants of Seth and the daughters of men were descendants of wicked Cain. Dr. C.I. Schofield, in his notes on this passage, sums up this generally accepted view. He says, Some hold that these sons of God were the angels which kept not their first estate, Jude 6. It is asserted that the title, Sons of God, is in the Old Testament exclusively used of angels. But this is an error, Isaiah 43, 6. Angels are spoken of in a sexless way. No female angels are mentioned in Scripture, and we are expressly told that marriage is unknown among angels, Matthew twenty-two thirty. The uniform Hebrew and Christian interpretation has been that verse 2, Genesis 6, 2, marks the breaking down of the separation between the godly line of Seth and the godless line of Cain. This is the generally accepted theory of the birth of these giants in Noah's days. However, we feel this explanation is wholly in error and that the sons of God were actually fallen angels, 
literal demons who by a supernatural conception of the daughters of men produced a race of monstrosities called giants and so dangerously threatened the program of God that it became the occasion for God saying, my spirit shall not always strive with man, Genesis 6.3. When we examine the argument held by many that this refers to the marriage of the believing descendants, all female, of Seth, and the unbelieving descendants, all male, of Cain, we find that it cannot stand up under close scrutiny, for it presents too many difficulties and problems. If the reference is to the godly daughters of Seth and the ungodly sons of Cain, then we must explain, one, why this union was only between female descendants of Seth and the male descendants of Cain, and not also between the male descendants of Seth, sons of men, and the female descendants of Cain, daughters of God. Two, were all the descendants of Seth females and those of Cain males? Were all the descendants of Seth believers and all the descendants of Cain unbelievers? And three, how do we account for the birth of giants, men of great stature and unusual intelligence, as the result of the union of unbelievers with believers? These giants were unusual individuals. They were not only physical giants, but mentally superior as well, for they are called mighty men, which were old men of renown. Now, it is simply not true that a mixed marriage between the daughters of men, descendants of unbelievers, and sons of God, children of believers, will produce any physical or mental oddities. When a Christian marries an unsaved person, their children are no different from any other children, physically, emotionally, or mentally. One's faith has no physical effect on one's offspring. How then do we account for the fact that the offspring of this union in Genesis 6 were these monstrosities called giants? And four, if these sons of God were the descendants of godly Seth and the daughters of men were the children of wicked Cain, it certainly does not mean that their mixed marriage was the capital sin which precipitated the judgment of the flood. It could not have been merely the unequal yoke of a mixed marriage of humans. These facts alone make the generally accepted explanation quite untenable. We, therefore, hold that this sin which occasioned the flood was a supernatural union between fallen angels, demons, and the children of men, with the resultant birth of monstrosities called giants who were half-human and half-demon, accounting for their physical stature and supernatural wisdom and wickedness. These demon beings are called the sons of God, a term repeatedly applied to the angels in the Old Testament, both fallen and unfallen. The unfallen angels were called sons of God. Job says that at the creation of the world, the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, Job 38.7. But the same expression is also used for angels after their fall, in Job 1.6, we are told, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. The same is repeated in the next chapter. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Job 2.1 Here the fallen angels are called sons of God, and Satan was one of them. We believe that the sons of God in Genesis 6 were fallen angelic beings. This alone will account for the birth of giants as a result of this unholy union. The word giant is Nephilim. In the original text, it means fallen ones. The Hebrew word Nephilim, translated giants, comes from the verb nephal, which means to fall. We may therefore translate the verse in Genesis 6, There were fallen creatures of fallen ones in the earth in those days, when the sons of God, fallen angels, came in unto the daughters of men. 
Is there any other explanation for the birth of these monstrosities if there was no supernatural force involved? That this was the unusual situation occurring only when this unholy union was entered into and not the result of natural generation is emphasized by the reminder. And also after that, when, that's whenever, the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, Genesis 6, 4. The one objection raised against this interpretation is that angels are sexless and do not marry, and thus are unable to fulfill the role suggested in the record of Genesis 6. This objection is based almost entirely on the words of Jesus in Matthew 22. The unbelieving Sadducees had come to Jesus with the ambiguous question of the woman who had had seven husbands, all brothers, and they wanted to know which one of these brothers could claim her as his wife in the resurrection. To this, Jesus gave answer as follows. Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, thy people neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven, Matthew 22, 29, and 30. Upon this is based a theory that angels are sexless and that angels never marry. But nowhere in the Bible is it stated that angels are sexless. To the contrary, angels are always referred to as masculine, never feminine. There are no female angels, hence no baby angels. Those cute little cherubs and stubby wings and baby faces which embellish our Christmas cards are pure imagination, like so many other things associated with Christmas. The fact that angels are all masculine and there are no female angels may throw some light on the eagerness of these fallen angels to take human wives. But the objection is raised that Jesus says, In the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Matthew 22:30 and also Mark 12:25 This statement has nothing to do whatsoever with the fallen angels in Genesis 6 and their union with the daughters of men. Jesus says the angels in heaven neither marry nor are given in marriage. He is not talking about fallen angels in hell or in the pit or free in the atmosphere about us. Herein the difference between the angels in heaven and fallen angels. These fallen ones left their first celibate estate and fell from their holy position and committed the sin which God could not tolerate, and he therefore sent the flood to cut short this clever scheme of Satan to corrupt the whole human race. Schofield, in his notes on Genesis 6, misquotes the passage in Matthew 22 by saying, Marriage is unknown among angels. Jesus said he referred to the angels of God in heaven. If what we have said so far has not convinced you of the nature of these sons of God, we would turn to the testimony of the Bible itself. The writer Jude clinches the matter once for all. He is referring to the days before the flood and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, or sphere of activity, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Jude 6. Who were these angels which kept not their first estate? And what was the nature of their sin which caused God to shut them up in chains of darkness, only to be released for a short time in the future, in that great day? The next verse, Jude 7, gives the unmistakable answer. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering in the vengeance of eternal fire. Here is the inspired answer. These angels which fell from their first estate were once holy angels. Their sin was the same sin as that of Sodom, going after strange flesh, fornication, engaging in unnatural relationship, bringing on the judgment of God. 
The Apostle Peter adds his testimony concerning the sins of these sons of God and identifies them as demons who sought to corrupt humanity in the days of Noah before the flood. His words corroborate the testimony of Jude, speaking of the certainty of the coming judgment. Peter says, God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. 2 Peter 2.4 Peter is talking about the fallen angels, who sinned so wickedly that God shut them up, where they could not continue their evil influences. And then Peter identifies these fallen angels by placing them in the days of Noah. Continuing, we read, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, Second Peter 2.5. This places these fallen angels in the days of Noah, and the nature of their sin is disclosed in the next verse. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly, Second Peter 2.6. In the light of Jesus' words, as it was in Noah's day and Lot's day, so it will be in the last days. We easily detect a repetition of the activity of Satan in these days in which we live. Corrupting with filth and the abuses of sex, this will again be interpreted only by the judgment of God. In our next chapter in this series, we shall see the strategy of Satan and what his real aim and purpose was in trying to corrupt the whole human race and why Noah alone was found unaffected by this unholy generation. Read again carefully Genesis 6, 5 through 13. Hey guys, I hope that this has taught you something, helped you out, brought some clarity. I too truly believe that these are fallen angels. We know that fallen angels are masculine. We know that all angels are masculine. There are no female angels. I know sometimes we see advertisements as angels with long flowing hair and women, but that is not biblical. We had fallen angels have sex with women, earthly women, and had offspring, which created the giants. Guys, I hope that this has helped. If it has, please like, share, subscribe, and follow. And until next week, God bless. God bless.